0: Welcome to the Habitat Podcast, the podcast for wildlife habitat management, hunting strategy, and land stewardship. And now, your host, Jared Van Hees.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to the Habitat Podcast. I'm your host, Jared Van Hees, and we have another great episode here for you today. We have Regan Washer from Virginia on the line. Now, Regan killed a great buck this week down in Virginia, a real nice A point, and we're going to hear how and why he did it in this game plan style episode. We also had some habitat talk in here about his 80 acres he's on, some of the history he's done to it so far, um, You know, becoming a habitat manager the last four or five years. It's a pretty cool episode, and it was good to hear from another guy just like you and me, the listeners, and, and just out there doing the same thing we do. Uh, so a couple things we talk about here are where to hunt during the rut, downwind and bedding areas. We talk about food plots and uh, hinge cutting or edge feathering. And we talk about the story of the successful hunt from region here. So tune in, guys. We have a great episode for you today. I want to thank the listeners for coming on. Once again, we really love you guys. If you haven't heard of the Habitat Podcast before, check us out online at habitatpodcast.com. We have all of our episodes up there, links to our social media, YouTube, all that great stuff. We have gear. We also have our uh, land plan consulting services up there. So we're booking right now through January and early February. Right now out in uh, Nebraska, we have one in Indiana. We're working our way through to you listeners to help out on your property. If you have any questions about the service, if you're not impressed with the habitat or hunting on your property and just want a better overall experience, go to HabitatPodcast.com slash landplans. Check us out. Feel free to uh, email me or reach out to me on Facebook if you have any questions. I'd love to give you a free chat, you know, talk to you, no charge at all, to buy your property and and see how we can help. So that is up at HabitatPodcast.com. I want to thank Realtree, United Country Land Pro, Lake State's Realty and Auction. So Chad Thalen, he's been on the podcast a couple times. You guys know Chad He's partnered up with Real Tree United Country for his uh, real estate business. I want to tell you guys about this listing he has in uh, Clinton County, Michigan. Some nice bucks on the listing that were harvested over the past years. Farmland there's a country home with some acreage. It's 80 acres. So feel free to check out that listing on Facebook under Realtree United Country Land Pro Lake States Realty and Auction. I also want to tell you guys about Packer Max Cultipackers. Spring food plots are going to be here before we know it. There's nothing better to uh, pick up over the winter than a Packer Max Cultipacker. I've been using mine now since 2017. Thing looks brand new. Nothing wrong with it at all, and I love the thing. Um, Lincoln has a code for us to use. If you go to his website, packermax.com, you get a free discount. Uh, let's see here. It is $25 off any cultipacker Packer with the code HPC. You can check all that out at PackerMax.com. He's got a few different models up there, and he is busier than ever. So if you're thinking about one for spring, I'd consider ordering now, just so you don't have a long wait to get your call Packer. I'd like to thank HuntWise, Killer Food Plots, Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Sound Barrier Hunting, and Morris Nursery for their support in the podcast. that's enough from me, guys. Let's get right into this awesome hunt in Virginia
0: with Regan Washer.
1: What's going on, Regan?
0: Hey, Jared doing good, man. uh thanks for having me on. This is a quite the honor. Ah uh,
1: dude. thank you so much for coming on and thank you for listening all the support you always get for the podcast it's uh it's it's recognized and it's awesome, so thank you hell yeah. But that's not why I had John. I had John because you shot a real nice buck earlier this week, and I wanted to hear about how you did that down in Virginia.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I appreciate it. It was, uh, it was definitely exciting. It's, it's nice to get it out of the way, in a sense, early in the season, get that monkey off your back. But uh, I will be honest, I am definitely not slowing down my hunting whatsoever. I was out in the mor- at, in the stand this morning.
1: <laughs> so what's that feel like to have the monkey off your back? Because there's about three monkeys on mine right now. <laughs>
0: well, I've only got one of the three monkeys off my back because I got three buck tags. But uh, it does, it feels good in the sense that, um, you know, it's, it's a good accomplishment to always, you know, to get a nice deer on the ground. Uh, let's you take a breath, you know, and just kind of be like, okay, I took two days off stayed out of the woods, uh, you know, processed the deer, uh, made dinner for my wife one of the nights, you know, Right. up those brownie points, so. Yes, sir. Yeah, but, but now I'm back at it, uh, unfortunately, we've got this awful wave of warm weather that's rolled in on us this week, so I guess I'll have to just work around that.
1: Yeah, no, same here, we're, uh, we're 70 degrees today, tomorrow, Sunday, um, but I'm gonna get up really early tomorrow and, and head out and try to get some of that morning movement while it's so cool.
0: Um, yep, yep. Same here. So, man.
1: Well, let's get into it. Let's hear about who you are, where you're from, the property you hunt, and kinda of tell us a story about your habitat, stuff like that. So we can paint a picture for us.
0: Yeah, definitely. So property that I uh that I do all my habitat work on um it's in Virginia um Fauquier County Virginia if anybody local is curious um my family and I we bought the property I think December of 2016 so we've had it for what four years now this this December um prior to that all of my hunting was done on the HOA land in the neighborhood that I grew up in as a kid um you know which was pretty awesome to have that as an option Um, My dad didn't hunt, so I just kind of picked it up with another buddy of mine, and we just ran with it. You know, got obsessed with it, and now here I am. You know, twelve or thirteen years later, just completely eat up with it. Um, But uh, but my farm, my farm that I live on currently, and and do my habitat work on. uh, The the first year, first year we got it, I really didn't do much of anything. I think I did a clover plot in. You know, a little half-acre corner of of the property, you know, just because that's what you see on in you know magazines, a little throw and grow something like that. Uh, but I didn't really get into habitat work uh, probably until about two years ago on the property. Um, you know, that's when I started getting into to your podcast, uh, some of the other podcasts, and just really started researching and, and reading and, and learning as much as I possibly could about how to make your property. Um, as wildlife-friendly and as, you know, particularly deer-friendly as possible. Um, so that's kind of was where I started was with food plots, and I, I now have about three to four acres of food plots just kind of peppered around the property, I think a total of five acres. Or I'm sorry, five plots that equal about that amount of acreage. Um, but from a habitat improvement standpoint, the first year we got it, we planted, my dad and I planted uh, about maybe five to seven acres of mixed pine trees, cedar trees, um, you know, loblollies, white pines, spruces, all that, just to kind of change up the terrain, you know, and the vegetation, because it's predominantly, it's 82 acres. I don't know if I mentioned that. Um, it's It's got a couple rolling hills, a very flat front pasture, and um, and it's mostly all the hardwoods are on the creek bottoms, and we've got a couple of creeks that feed together. So I wanted to get a variety of, uh, you know, vegetation in there, and you know, pine trees are, are a good evergreen that we have none on the property. So started with that, and then over the years I've planted, you know, handfuls of different types of trees. I've got some Dunstan chestnuts and pockets out there. Um, won't see anything from them for, you know, five six years or so, but at least they're in the ground. Um, you know, I, I've done a ton of hinge cuts, uh, maybe got a little crazy with the hinge cuts in some areas <laughs> Cause, that know, happen. it's a trend,
1: <laughs> it's fun,
0: you know, it and I'm fun. pro hinge cut. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yes, sir. So, no,
1: that sounds great, man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll pause right there and see if you want to dive into any of those little areas at all.
1: Yeah. First of all, how are your chestnuts looking? Are they uh, so, do they all survive? Did some of them survive because I've had fifty fifty luck with them, but i don't I didn't know then what I know now so
0: that's I think that's the golden ticket right there is the first year you know when I started planting trees and you know you stick a you know Dunstan chestnut that you buy at tractor supply in the ground without a cage, it gets rubbed within two days, right, so I figured that out the hard way. I probably put you know a dozen you know chestnut trees in the ground in in this one area right behind our house and within the first you know month of them being in the ground almost every single one was just rubbed to the ground so <laughs> yeah. I've done yeah it's pretty rough I've done a whole new wave of them I actually grew a bunch from from uh seeds that I got from uh chestnut ridge of Pike County those are in the ground those are all doing phenomenal um but the key is staking and tubing them. That's what I figured out with any tree hardwood, especially that you plant, you got to tube it and stake it. So just kind of, you know, protect them as a baby. And then once they pop out of the tube, then leave the tube on for another couple years. And, uh, you know, should, should give it enough, uh, enough of a head start to get going. It's pretty exciting. I'm just can't wait for the first chestnut to be, uh, be on one of them. No, that sounds awesome. I know, uh,
1: I did the same thing. I grew some from seed from my buddy uh Phil Lincoln down in Indiana and I got them tubed as well and they did they did pretty great uh, going that route versus the the caging and I think I had some wet feet issues where my ground was a little wet too and chestnuts don't really like that so uh but yeah. to, to your point yeah. it's a
0: learning experience and you keep grinding and uh figure it out.
1: That all sounds good. Oh yeah.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Every everything I've done out there has been, you know, a learning experience from, you know, I I had a patch of, this is a a funny one, I had a patch of uh, Atlantis tree of heaven trees, and I was like, well, I want to cut these all down just to, you know, plant other stuff here. Well, I cut them down the next spring. There was probably about quadruple the amount of uh, shoots starting. So there's another learning curve right there for you. Got to use herbicide.
1: Yeah, don't get my friend uh, Al Tomesco talking about the tree of heaven hills. He'll uh he'll probably drive down there and kill him for you. He's got a pass. Oh man, uh, send them down. Send them <laughs> down. We've got a lot.
0: <laughs> so <laughs> you mentioned a battle.
1: you mentioned something um, while we were chatting a few months back or whatever about how you you uh, are the habitat manager if you own on your property and then your dad is totally opposite, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I I don't know if I mentioned that earlier on in the in this, but uh,
1: not in this I've one. But up. I'm just curious how maybe if you had any advice on, because I'm sure there's many other people that are trying to get habitat work done and then you know, maybe their partners on the property are are maybe, you know, hesitant or don't want to or old school, you know,
0: maybe if you have a tip or two that you could help, uh, that would be something I'd I'd like to touch on. Absolutely, yeah. So the property, we bought it as a family. Uh, Me, mom, and dad, we all went in on it together. Uh, So, you know, there in and of itself... We have to share it, right? And I currently am the only one, along with my wife, of course, that that live out there on the property, so I kind of, you know, rule the roost to an extent, you know, with what's going on currently. My folks will build out there in the next year or two, so we will have to, you know, figure out a little bit more, more, you know, I guess, uh, bending and flexing. Um, But for the most part, I do all the habitat work out there. I do all the maintenance work. And my dad loves, um, and this is no fault of his. We just, we're just different people. He yep. loves, you know, a manicured, you know, kind of like an estate look. Whereas, you know, probably most of us deer hunters, we like to see thickets. We like to see, you know, tons of just nasty forbs and stuff growing in a field, little native warm grass, native warm season grass mixed in. So it's, it's kind of a little bit of a battle sometimes trying to find that happy medium of, you know, where, where we want to leave it wild, where we want to plant trees to kind of take it out of, um, you know, maintenance area and stuff like that. Um, but the best advice that I could give somebody who went in on a property with, with a partner is just talk it. Talk it through. The whole time, you know, as you guys are looking at the property, trying you know, feel each other out to see what their goals are, to see what your goals are. And then, you know, you have to find a happy medium because otherwise you butt head and nothing gets done, you know. So it's definitely it's – a, it's a balancing act. Um, You know, with family, you've got the ability to, you know – Cuss each other up one side and out the other and then love each other the next day. So <laughs> <laughs> No, it sounds it sounds great.
1: I just I know there's a lot of people that probably are going through the same thing, so it's that's some good advice. I
0: appreciate you appreciate you hitting that. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: Alright, so we got an idea of what your place looks like, uh where it's at, some of the habitat work you've done. Let's get into your hunt. So this was uh this week. We're only a couple days behind it here. Let's hear about um, the area you decide to hunt, you know, and and your plan from there, and see if we can get some info from it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I did want to before we jump into the hunt, there was like a couple other little habitat things I've done that I think might be worth noting. Yes, please. Um, if you're good with that. Yes. Yeah. Please. So this this winter, back in like February March, um, I've been researching and you know your podcast and other podcasts and stuff that discuss habitat you know, about different things that can be done in in off-season, you know, doing the the hinge cuts, um, timber stand improvement, all that stuff. And uh, fire, controlled burns was one of them that I really wanted to try and, you know, do to improve the – they're just basically old hay pastures on our farm, you know, predominantly fescue. And so one thing that I, you know, did was I hired the um, uh, Virginia Department of Forestry – to come out, and we burned, I think, a, a total of 12 acres in different, you know, sections of the farm, um, and, oh, man, it was insane. I've never seen that much fire rip through an area so fast. It was, whew, it was crazy, but, uh, but the after effect was, was pretty astounding. We, uh, as soon as it started to green up in about March, I came through with a, uh, an herbicide and sprayed all the areas to knock back the fescue. To let okay. all the everything else that's in the seed bank kind of have a, a chance to get germinated. And Do you know was,
1: what herbicide that was by chance?
0: Yeah, I used glyphosate, just, you know, non selective herbicide.
1: Got it. Um,
0: yep. And then I actually followed it up um, again with uh, with clethodim when I noticed that the majority of the things that were coming up were. Um, were the fescue, you know, yep. and I was really trying to knock that back to, to give everything else a chance, and I was just blown away by the results. We had, our fields were, I mean, thicker than hair on a dog's back, you know, with just like goldenrod, um, ironweed, you name it, all the different types of forbs that, you know, are very good for pollinators and provide a lot of good structure, so that was one thing I was really pumped about to see a, a change happen this year. Um Additionally we, we've got um you know we got some funding from uh from the federal government for a little bit of land improvement. Uh one of them was basically um they provide funding for you to plant uh shrubs to create more of a transition from the mature hardwoods to uh the open field. So sure. that's another thing we started doing and I've been planting um, you know, American plums, hazelnuts. Low-growing types of trees to kind of create that um, edge effect that you know whitetail and a lot of other critters really thrive in. So, oh, that's awesome. And what program was that with the
1: government? Was that uh, Equip or what was that?
0: Yep. So Equip was one of them. Uh, Equip was the one for the the habitat, the shrub planting. Uh, another one was it's called Grassland Conservation Initiative. I don't know if it falls under equip, but it's it's similar to CRP, the CRP program, except for you basically just let let things be fallow. Um, you don't have to plant anything as long as you're not running running livestock or planting crops. Then they per, they pay you a cost per acre, and that just kind of goes back into the the pot of the farm to kind of you know pay for all this fun stuff.
1: I love it, man. I love it. Why not yeah. get some cost share on this stuff if you can and. Exactly. If you're, if you're only in it for uh, you know a certain amount of years for the contract, if it's not that many, I know some are you know five or three and you know things like that. It's really pretty reasonable and um, less money out of your pocket. So nice work on that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Thanks. It was definitely a pain in the ass to to get it all done because uh, right. you know this is no slight to anybody that works for them, but the government's hard to work with sometimes. You know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> Let's be honest, and, uh, you know, it took a little bit of time, but, I mean, we got our first funding for uh, those two programs this fall, and uh, when they hit the, the checking account for the farm, I was like, sweet, <laughs> you know. Yeah, man, that's real cool. Yeah. Anything else you wanted to hit before we roll into the hunt? Oh, man, I could honestly go on forever, but uh, we'll, we'll get give into give me the something hunt.
1: else. <laughs> what, what else you got? I know you, were, you did some food plots. Let's hear a little bit about your food plots, um... What your thought is there maybe where you put them, uh, sure. you know, the location yeah. and, and what you're planting. Let's hear about that.
0: Yeah, okay. So my food plots are peppered around the property. Um, we do have a lot of big ag around us. Uh, the farm behind us is, I think they crop about a total of 600 acres, um, and that's it's it's 200 you know, 200 to 300 directly behind us. And then on the other side of the road, um, is probably another two or 300 acres. So it's, it's a pretty big operation. So my food plots are more or less kind of designed to be, I guess you'd call them kill plots or something like that to just kind of get the, get the deer to stop a little bit before they head out into the big ag field and stuff. Um, and I've got them more or less in the corners of my property, uh, because that just made sense to me when I first got the farm. You know, I was like, where where should I start? And I just, you know, I was kind of watching deer movement, and I was like, okay, well, let's just put them here, you know. So I got them peppered in the different corners of the property, and I've got one that's actually near my house that's about an acre uh, that's kind of smack dab in the middle of the property. Um, so, you know, they were so- somewhat strategically located. They They might shift over the years just depending on, you know, how I see deer moving and stuff like that. Um, But as far as what I'm planting, the first, I think I mentioned it earlier, the first thing I ever planted was clover, which is, you know, not too hard of a crop to plant. Um, Controlling the weeds can be a little tough. I learned that the hard way. You know, it looks gorgeous in April when it comes up, and then, you know, it just gets blown out by all the warm season invasive grasses and all that fun stuff. Um, but now I've kind of transitioned to a little bit more of, um, annual crops. Um, okay. I, yeah. So I, this fall I planted a cereal grain base with some brassicas and some, uh, some peas mixed in. So it seems to be, you know, giving the deer something good. I like to, you know, check up on the food plots when I'm walking to the tree stand and see how much browse I can see. And it seems like there's a good bit, especially, uh, I've noticed they, they hit the oats really hard. Um, so far, so it's, yeah, that's a, that's a definite draw. I would imagine they'll probably start to hit all the other brassicas and stuff as we get more, um, you know, frost work through and stuff. So food plotting is definitely, it's, it's a fun thing to do when you've got property. Um, it can, you can get a little obsessive with it, you know, like I'd love to have a perfectly manicured, you know, team real tree looking food plot, but (laughs) I just don't have that equipment, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean it can it can be done. Uh, it can be done. It's just it doesn't need to be done. Deer don't care. It's just they uh, don't. where I'm at with the drought we've had up here this year. I was just I was wanting tonnage, you know, total yep just production of what I could, and it's already all mowed down. So it's uh, wow. That's yeah, normal. and I did all I did all no-till, and uh, so I, I actually needed that rain a little bit more than. Uh, standard but or just as much but it's i mean it's all there it's just short and been hammered i probably need to shoot some does too based on what my forester said <laughs> so he's probably right yeah. but um yeah no you're right I, I like uh that that cereal grain and brassica combination the oats and the peas that's my go-to for sure so
0: i mean it just deer everything that i've learned about deer um they're not a grazer through a browser you know they they prefer many different types of choices and so when you plant one monoculture of a crop you know it it might fit the bill for this time of year or that time of year but when you plant kind of like a smorgasbord you know they have different things that they might need you know nutrient wise out of the different plants so that's that's kind of my thought for for doing that so very nice.
1: Very nice. This is turning more into a regular episode than a game plan episode. I love it, man.
0: <laughs> we might have to stretch it out, you know, just call it a call it a uh a regular one. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. That's uh, this is great. This is good stuff. Uh you did some you mentioned hinge cutting, you did some edge feathering, I believe, too, right?
0: Yes, that's another we were, one. Yeah. We chatted a
1: little bit about that before the the deer hunt and you mentioned that was kind of advantageous and I'm sure you'll mention that
0: when we talk about the hunt here, but uh that was part yeah. of the
1: success, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So one thing that I learned, read, you know, you name it, is that uh whitetail are, are creatures of edge. You know, they like to have a transition from one area to uh, to another, you know, area. And so what I've been really working on doing around the, uh, the field edges and stuff is instead of it going from mature timber, you know, 60-year-old oak trees or whatever, to an open field, I'll, I'll drop some of them along the edges. You know, there's a there's a couple places where I've dropped some mature ones and, or hinge cut some young ones that have stayed alive, and it's provided some, uh, you know, horizontal cover. And I've noticed that the deer... Love that they travel right along the edge of the field with that because I guess it makes them feel safe. They can they can have a place to kind of you know sit back and, and glass the field before they enter it and stuff like that. So I've noticed a tremendous amount of um, you know usage I guess if you will from the edge feathering that I've done both just on uh, regular grown up fields as well as on the edge of food plots. Um, the first couple years I planted food plots I took it right up to the edge of the mature timber and you know you could see straight through the woods come December you know and I'm thinking man why aren't the deer using it except for at night well I this year and and the year before started pulling the uh, uh, food plots in a little bit letting some of that ironweed some of that goldenrod some of those other you know stalky forbs grow in on the edge of the uh, the food plots and they've provided a phenomenal screen um, a little safety zone, a transition zone for the deer. And I've noticed a little bit more, you know, daylight usage of, of food plots too. I think because of that, I'm sure there's a lot of factors, but I think you can contribute some of it to that at least.
1: I mean, I I fully would agree. I think uh, no matter what, getting that hard edge broken up into a soft edge or early successional edge of some yeah. sort where it's more of a gradual transition is – is key. I mean, you don't want your buck standing back in the woods 40 yards looking straight out into that food plot going, eh, nothing's out there, see you later, and you never even had had a chance. So are you um, edge feathering parallel to the hard edge or perpendicular, dropping them out into the food plot or back into the woods?
0: What are you doing there? So um, I would say mostly parallel to the food plot. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there have been some trees that have been, you know, dropped back into the woods um, to kind of open it up a little bit deeper into the woods to create that transition. But I'd say for the most part, I've been trying to do uh, a horizontal buffer. Um, you know, I guess you know whatever you want to call it, parallel to the to the food plot edge. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's uh that can be advantageous when trying to direct where your target deer walks into the food plot, right? So if you yeah. if you block off a bunch of uh an edge with a hinge cut barrier or a, a tree felled barrier, and then you have a nice, you know, two foot opening thirty yards up of your tree stand, mm-hmm. a deer will take Thank the you. the path of least resistance and hopefully give you a bow shot. Um exactly. and then if it doesn't if it doesn't work, then you need to tweak with a chainsaw and figure it out till it does work. So, I yep, think uh, yep. I like that. I I drop more into the woods and and out into the edge as well um, to try to extend that edge. So, if, instead of a deer is, yeah. holding up right there, they think, okay, I'm on the edge now, and where we have that little gap cut. Well, if there's still a you know a ten foot or twelve foot tall tree top laying another forty yards out and might be able to walk a little bit further feeling secure giving you that giving you that shout out in the opening before dark. So just um you know a couple ways to skin that cat?
0: No, I think they can all all be used in, in, in conjunction with each other. Um, I mean, you know, like we said, deer deer like transition zones, so I don't think they really, you know, will pick one over the other as being their favorite. I think they all can work together. Um, For sure. also man-made like planted ones I've experimented this past year with um, some sorghum screens and I've noticed that really helped out it gave me access to some of my tree stands Um, I ran a a screen you know probably about a hundred yard screen across the middle of a field where one side is food plot and the other side is just overgrown field and so I can access a tree stand and the stands probably thirty yard twenty yards off of the end of uh where the sorghum screen ends, so it gives me a perfect bow shot for when they're coming from the grown up field into the food plot, so you know you can be the architect you can be you, you can make it whatever whatever you want it to be you know
1: that's my favorite part that's my favorite and you know, and, and there's really not much that you can't go back and and uh tweak later on so
0: yeah, anything can be corrected with a, a chainsaw, maybe some fire, um, a tractor if you got one, you know, whatever. It, anything can be adjusted for sure.
1: All right, meat and potatoes. Let's hear about this eight point.
0: All tell right, me, Tell cool. me the
1: story. Where did you set up and uh, why would you set up there and, and what happened?
0: Yep, so I shot him on um, voting day uh tuesday um i realized after we talked earlier you know it ended up being tuesday you know was jogging back through my memory but anyhow so that sunday leading up to that um i did like a a half day sit you know down in the transition area on the farm down like uh the swampy creek bottom between bedding and some of my food plots and i didn't see but one deer and i sat for like seven hours so I'm thinking, okay, well, Monday was going to be really, really windy, like 30-mile-an-hour winds, and then they were supposed to lighten up to, like, you know, 5 to 10-mile-an-hour for Tuesday morning. I was like, okay, I, I would imagine that that will probably get them on their feet a little bit. Um, so the plan was to sit Tuesday morning about 50 yards off the edge of one of my food plots downwind of a very highly used doe bedding area that's actually on my neighbor's property so I'm kind of in between uh, about a you know three-quarter acre food plot and then also the the doe bedding Um, so I get in that morning um, it's really bright moon so you know of course I jump a deer walking in I'm like oh great you know great way to start And then uh, I get to the tree that my stand's in, and I'm not kidding you. There's a dozen turkeys or more that were roosting in my tree that all just busted out of there. Sounded like a freaking flock of seagulls, you know, getting up. And I'm just thinking, oh, this is great. What a wonderful (laughs) way to start the day. But you know what? That's part of it. I got in the tree stand. um, I know. (laughs) Uh, Got up and... You know, had enough time with the darkness still to just kind of let the woods calm back down. And about first light, I start, you know, glassing, start, you know, having my head on a swivel. uh, Where I'm sitting, My, my food plot is to my right and the bedding area is to my left. So I look over to my right in the plot and I see a really nice buck that I didn't recognize him. You know, he could have been one of the ones I've been getting on camera all year. But he just sprinted through the food plot. And I you know, I couldn't even couldn't even get a shot, couldn't do anything, and I was like, Okay, it's on, it started, this is exciting. Um so once I saw that, my head is just on a swivel. I didn't sit down the rest of the morning, I'm just, you know, on my feet, looking, 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 and maybe about a half hour after I saw that buck, maybe less, I look out in the food plot again and I see a smaller buck, and he's just kind of feeding through. Um and he was staring back into the woods where I think he had come out of And, you know, one thing I've learned is you always watch where a deer is looking, you know, because they're usually looking at something. It's not just – they don't just like to stare for no good reason. Uh, So I'm watching where this deer is, you know, looking, and I'm not seeing anything. So I just kind of kept swiveling my head around, you know, seeing what's moving. Uh, And then maybe a couple minutes later, uh, five, ten minutes later, I just look up in that general direction again, and there's a, a buck a good buck, a shooter, the one that I ended up shooting. And I was like, oh, my gosh. So grabbed the muzzleloader, and, uh, you know, I I got buck fever. Uh, You know, a lot of guys like to pretend that that's not a thing, even (laughs) after you've been hunting for a decade or more. But it's a thing. So I was shaking pretty good. So I uh, throw the gun up. He was only like 40 yards away. You know, it was a really close shot. Uh, Should have been a bow shot, but I had the muzzleloader with me. And uh, put it on him. Pull the trigger. Bang! He drops. He uh, he gets up, clears a creek, and just piles up. And I was like, "Sweet, dead deer. This is awesome." Uh, and I'd actually texted my parents that morning, um, told them I was hunting, and uh, I said, "I'm going to shoot a big buck this morning, then I'm going to go vote." And they're like, "Okay, cool." <laughs> you know. <laughs> so I was like, "This is a great day." Um, America, so get down. Yeah, exactly. America. That's right. So I get down, you know, 20 minutes later because I saw him pile up. I was like, he's toast. Um, I go, you know, try and find – I always go to the point of impact even if I see a deer pile up because you just never know. You want to find blood. You want to see, you know, what if I whiffed something. So I go there, and I'm like, well, shoot, there's no blood. That's not great. And I look up to where I saw him pile up, and he was there, but he was still alert a little bit. I was like, Oh great and of course left my muzzle letter at the base of the tree like an idiot, you know. So I I backed out, just started walking backwards, you know, got out of there, went to the house, um, coffee, food, whatever. Came back an hour later and he was gone. And I was like, Oh, this is great. So I go to where he was bedded and there was I mean, zero blood, like a couple drops and so I'm like, shit. I'm looking around, looking around, uh trying to find blood, trying to find some sort of sign of what direction he went and I heard something get up in a thicket, just maybe like ten yards in front of me. Um, the kind of thicket where you can't hardly see into, you know. And uh sure as sure as hell he gets up and I'm like, This is great. I don't have my muzzle letter with me to put another one in him like an <laughs> idiot again. I know, I know. All the stuff we do right all year long, you always screw up when it comes to a good deer. I swear. It's just just how it goes. So, I see him stand up and I same thing. I I backed out. Just started walking backwards, kept my eyes on him, tried to make a mental note of where he was standing, you know, with you know trees and any other landmarks I could. And uh, so I backed out told my buddy exactly what happened. My buddy Johnny and I, we hunt a couple properties together. Um, So, you know, I help him with dragon deer out. He helps me. We hunt together on a couple properties. And he's like, dude, just back out. Wait till I get there this afternoon. And so the whole rest of the morning I'm just like, all right, what do I do? You know, try and watch a TV show, (laughs) try and clean up the kitchen, whatever. Um, So he gets over around 1, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and I'm running him through the whole scenario. You know, I showed him the point of impact. I showed him the first bed, and I was like, all right. I saw him stand up right up on the, the crest of this hill in this thicket, so let's start there, and then we'll just start combing, combing the area so you, hopefully we can find him. And so we start walking, and I'm not kidding you, about two, two steps up the hill, you know, I come around like a little branch, and I was like, oh, my God, dude, he's right there. Like, he hadn't gone anywhere from where I saw him last, so – I was jumping up and down all sorts nice. of pumped for uh for that, so you know you go from a really low to a really high real quick, so I was jazzed up, yeah, well hey,
1: congratulations on uh you know doing the right thing and and backing out and recovering the deer no matter what so that's a yeah that's a heck of a nice buck man what is he
0: so he's a i'm I'm pretty sure he's a three and a half year old uh took the jaw bones out the other day. And I've been studying them. I've never done that before, so I'm trying to figure out if I've got him pegged right just so I can have, you know, a good idea of how to age deer on the hoof moving forward because I'm really trying to follow the whole QDMA model of, you know, shooting mature deer. Um, But anyhow... We're just going to – we'll call him a three-and-a-half-year-old for now. Uh, pretty solid buck. Um, nice G2s, nice G3s. He ended up being 15 and a half inches wide. He's not going to score high at all. You know, he, he's got no brow tines, Like, they're about inch, inch-and-a-half. Um uh, yeah. But just a good, heavy-bodied buck. Um, just something to be real pumped for, you know, to at least, like we said earlier, get that monkey off your back, you know. Yep. So. no man
1: that's that's awesome congratulations you get a buck that size walks by me tomorrow morning he's gonna be in trouble so I think good. Uh, i hope it happens man' oh uh, no that I, I do too i think um you know after all the hard work we put in it's good to it's good to have some success and uh fill that freezer up too and eat you know eat tenderloins and back straps so he's a nice buck i mean he's uh, like you said he's got nice twos nice threes um wh- how big do deer normally get in virginia i I have no idea
0: so I would say we've got pretty good sized deer um they're not midwest deer uh body wise we have very very healthy body deer we we do okay. have a good bit of ag around here um cool. antler wise i just we don't have we don't have the Ohio deer we don't have the illinois deer right. um, every now and then you know you'll see a guy around here that just you know bags like a a one sixty one seventy and that's like huge news yeah. um So it's, you know, we've got healthy deer, but I think everybody wishes they could have, you know, the Midwest deer in their state. So that's why I'm doing my little habitat stuff, maybe have my own little honey hole. Hey, of course, of course, that makes sense. Uh, I want to hit a
1: few things here. Why do you think you were successful in in harvesting this deer with, with what habitat and what game plan that you put together? Let's try to give the listeners some reasons why you were successful. Maybe they can turn around and do it themselves.
0: Yeah, definitely. So the whole, the reason I got into that stand that morning with the, the wind dying down and, you know, the, it actually, the temperature dropped overnight as well. Um, and the whole idea was that I was going to be able to catch some does coming to bedding in the morning. And so they usually, when I sit in that stand, they usually feed through that food plot and then head to that bedding thicket over on my neighbor's property, which by the way, he does not hunt. So it's perfect. Works out nice. Um, which I think is everyone's dream to have neighbors that don't yeah. hunt. <laughs> you know? So that that was kind of the thinking with with where I was set up and with, with it being with my stand being downwind of the bedding, uh, in previous years that corner that I sit on, my buddy and I we call it rut corner, because once the rut starts coming, we just get cruisers coming down there, you know, downwind of the bedding area. Um and with that food plot down there, it's almost like a you guarantee that, that the bucks are going to have some sort of doze to, to lay eyes on or to win if they're in the betting area. So I guess from a habitat standpoint, the positioning of that food plot was actually, you know, in hindsight a very, very good idea to put it where I ended up putting it. Um, additionally, like we mentioned earlier, you know, I've done a lot of work in trying to create edge, and this food plot has a sorghum screen on the top, you know, to block it from the rest of the farm, kind of where the driveway is that comes up, you know, to my house and everything. Um, It's probably about 300 yards away from the driveway, but still, you know, deer will get spooked if they see a car coming up the driveway. So that's one thing. And then I've I've let a lot of the goldenrod and ironweed just grow up along the edges. So it's kind of like a brushed-in food plot um, that makes does, and and I guess bucks as well, feel very safe to, you know, come feed through on their way to, to their bedding.
1: Awesome. Awesome. And so, yeah, I think uh, both those are great points to take away from this. And you also mentioned when we talked earlier uh, that you hadn't set that stand yet this year. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So I'd actually uh, – you're right. I um, We had put a cell camera down there, uh, Johnny and I had, and so we'd just been kind of waiting until we start to see an uptick of activity and I was just like, you know what? I th- I think this is going to be the right morning to sit there. Um, I'd stayed out of there probably month and a half to two months at least of like walking in, you know, I hung the stand back in August or early September or something like that. Uh, and then we hung the, the camera, uh, maybe, you know, end of September. But other than that, I have not gone in that corner and, uh, I think that was a contributing factor because, you know, as I've mentioned, I I live out on the farm, you know, so pressure on these deer, whether I mean to or not, is a real thing. You know, I I get home from work and I'm like, oh, God, I want to go look at these cameras. I want to go look for, you know, scrapes on the field edges and stuff. But, you know, you got to realize that the deer, they get stressed when you're out there you know running around the trails in your field and in your woods all the time so
1: yeah
0: yeah i definitely try and stay out of certain areas i've i've tried to create a um a 6 acre sanctuary in the very middle of our property where i actually planted those pines i mentioned earlier um so over the years as that gets a little bit thicker um i'm hoping that that kind of becomes like a possibly a, a buck bedding area or maybe a primary doe bedding so yeah nice
1: yeah i think um you did a lot of things right there, obviously. And then, lastly, I mean, where we want to be in early November, guys, is, is just hunting those does. So if you got, you know, morning they're going back to bed, uh, you can hunt the one edge of a of a bedding area, and then evening, you know, they're coming out to eat. So maybe get on that edge of that food source or in between the bedding and the food in the evening, like Regan did. And you're kind of in the spot where you have both going on for you, um, and some edge. I mean, yeah, that's, that sounds dynamite to me. So, I mean, if anybody else yeah. is trying to put something together for their next hunt, uh, this time of year, early November, I definitely recommend those things.
0: Yeah, and and one thing to add to that, that uh, maybe some other people that have properties, you know, my size, you know, under 100 acres and stuff where you really can't manage it per se for, you know, to its full extent, I have not been able to fully um, pattern bucks on my farm. You know, it's just, it, I don't, I have... This similar bucks year to year, but I never have the same bucks, I feel like. However, I have been successful at, you know, following the doe movements, and that's been pretty crucial um, on letting me, you know, get a crack at bucks, I'd say, every year out there. So, yeah, like like you said, man, uh, this time of year is, if you're hunting does, your chances of, you know, getting a crack at a buck are pretty high.
1: Well, hey, man, I um... – that's all I had on this, but actually, I do have one more question, and we didn't we didn't talk about this before. I want to know what your favorite tree is.
0: I want you to answer the favorite oh. tree question, buddy. oh, I love this you're gonna you gonna hate me. I've got so many, so it's hard to pick one all right um, top top two okay, there you go um, <laughs> so I have an obsession with sycamore trees There's okay, no no real habitat reason behind it. I just think they're a beautiful tree. Um, They're usually very straight limb, good for getting up in it with the saddle, climber, whatever kind of tree stand. And they usually tend to be in good, nasty areas, you know, creek bottoms, just the kind of areas you want to be at. So I love sycamores. My second one, and this is a tough one, because I don't even know if this is my second one, but it's just coming to me right now. Um I and this might this might cause a little rift, you know, with some of the other habitat guys, but I love cedar trees. I know people hate on them because they become a monoculture and everything, but in my area it's not a serious monoculture issue like it is in the Midwest.
1: Right. And wherever
0: I've got cedar thickets around me, there are always deer. They love to bed in them. They create highways inside of them, and they're usually just transition or or bedding areas that they use it for. Um, but it's just a great tree when they're when they're in a good uh good cluster to to hold deer and screen and everything. So guess I'll have to say those too.
1: Hey man, good choices, good choices. Yeah, I haven't heard uh, sycamore before, and I I know we talked about cedars on the episode with Tom James. I think it was seventy eight maybe. Um, uh, he transplants them. So there's you know, I, do I know remember uh, that yeah. I know like you said, it's not it's not an issue where you're at like, like it is out, you know, Missouri and whatnot where you get the big, you know, kill every red cedar there is. But um yeah, I don't have any on on my property and I thought about bringing some of those in there too. So it's interesting. It's yeah, good, good I've, choices.
0: I've transplanted actually both of those trees, um onto my property from some of the other properties I hunt. Uh put a little, you know, Couple couple sycamores along the, the edges of the woods down in the low line areas. Uh transplanted some of the cedars, you know, like little six inch to twelve inch cedars and stuff. And you know, I'm just hoping for some, some diversity in the vegetation. Awesome man. Well,
1: anything else before we let you go?
0: Oh man. I just love deer hunting. That's all.
1: Well <laughs> And well, the habitat get, component. Oh yeah, of course. I mean that's what how you and I got chatting a while back was all habitat stuff. So I just Definitely. I really appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you listening and uh congrats on your beautiful A point and who knows, maybe we'll have to get you on here again soon with some more
0: success. Sounds good, man. Happy to be on, happy to uh be on again if if the uh opportunity arises and uh I wish you the best of luck for the rest of your season as well.
1: Hey, man, thank you very much, Regan. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.
0: Okay, thanks, ma'am.
1: Thank you so much, listeners, for coming and listening once again to the Habitat Podcast. We really appreciate it. If you could, please do us a favor leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast. If you type out something nice, I will send you a free Habitat Podcast decal. If you haven't been to our website, habitatpodcast.com, we have our Habitat Property Consultation Services on there under the Land Plan tab. Check out our HP Land Plans there. We also have hats, t-shirts, and decals up at habitatpodcast.com. Of course, all of our podcast episodes. And then we have a new Habitat Podcast journal, we can learn about deer anatomy and some cool thoughts, um, you know, more of a blog post from us every now and then. We'd really love it if you went over to our Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. found the Habitat Podcast and please subscribe. That really helps us. And thank you very much to our sponsors. We have Michigan Whitetail Pursuit, Packer Max Cultipackers, Huntwise, Killer Food Plot, The Habitat Hook, Realtree United Country Land Pro, Lake States Realty and Auction, Sound Barrier Hunting, and Morse Nursery. Thank you so much, guys, for tuning in once again. Get back with us soon. We're going to have another great episode for you as we become better habitat managers.